It's an honor at New Hope uh, to support the work of World Relief. Um, and as we move further along in the pandemic, one of my specific prayers is you know, that our congregation would see a revitalization in our interest in championing the work of international mission uh, like World Relief, uh, and uh, excited that, that Janet Durker is with us. I mean, she probably would freak out that I'm pointing at her, but she's a missionary in Athens working hard for refugees uh, in, in Athens. We're left to Great, thank you so much for being here. Anyway, um, but, but organizations like this that are international, but also organizations that are local, uh, like Catonsville Emergency Assistance, um, helping those in need. And I wanted us all to view uh, this World Relief new, new promo video, but for the purposes of, of the sermon today, uh, those words at the beginning um, get at the heart of everything that we do as a church. And if you missed it, here, here they are again. The problems of the world are overwhelming. Urgency points us towards quick fixes and band-aid solutions, but the underlying issues remain unsolved, and the problems reoccur again and again and again. We want to see an end to this cycle. We believe God has a plan to save our broken world, and it begins, here it is, it begins with his church and his people. His plan involves the transformation of the whole person, physically, mentally, socially, spiritually, I think we also might add emotionally, and it paves the way for transformed communities and nations. I cannot tell you how much I love that. One of the things I love about each of the organizations we support is their commitment to the local church being the primary venue for transformational change. Local churches around the world support organizations that focus on specific needs, but it all begins with the local church. It's been said, and I, I, I think rightly so, that the local church is the hope of the world. Now, of course, you might push back, and, and you might say, no, 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 pastor. Uh, Jesus is the hope of the world. You, they didn't teach you that in seminary? That's true. Jesus is the hope of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish or have eternal life. God loves the world. God loves this world so much that he put on flesh and lived among us incarnationally to teach us this new way to be human. And then he went to the cross to die for our sins so that there would be no more separation between us and our holy God. And then what happened? Resurrection. Ascension. Jesus not only lives, he lives in us. He is transforming each of us, redeeming our stories by making them a part of his own. And he does that by the power of the Holy Spirit who empowers his church to be the people of God, the people that God created us to be. It's living the way of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father that the local church lives out its, lives out its calling to be the hope of the world. I love what Jay Davies said last week at Pentecost. He said, uh, Pentecost is the day on the church calendar we celebrate uh, being given the Spirit. Pentecost, Jay said, is the power of the resurrection in us. And today, on the church calendar, is Trinity Sunday. Uh, the Trinity, this is a theologically difficult concept to be sure, right? The, the word Trinity doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible. 
And one of the most fundamental, but one of the most fundamental confessions of any Christian can proclaim uh, that, that one of our most fundamental confessions is that God is one. So why this Trinity business, right? Because if we read the Bible cover to cover, we would see that it appears that this very one God does indeed reveal himself in three distinct ways. It appears that God in his oneness exists in eternal community, defining love with his very existence. Let me say that again. God exists in eternal community, defining love with his very existence. And if something of the character and nature of God, something of of the character and nature of God points us towards community, it is a loving community that we are called into. The church is a Trinitarian community. One writer says, the church's identity is itself communal and relational. It derives the communal being from the triune God whose being is the three persons in communion and who created it for communion. The nature of the gospel, the nature of gospel proclamation is that God is inviting you to be a part of his family. But here's the challenge, friend. I think for far too long, we have allowed the, the, that, that, that to be a, a personal message. We have allowed that invitation to be a personal message about me and my salvation. Um, oftentimes we, we, we sing songs about the, uh, uh, that have the word me or the pronoun I and me far more than we say we talk about we and us. But, but I think we are called to live in authentic, life-giving, transformational, missional community. Family. We're called to be a family. To truly live out the power of the resurrection and be the hope that God created us to be, we have to be an us. We have to put down individual ambition or at least put it on the back burner and instead focus on how our lives affect others. I mean, Paul, Paul said it straight up, right? He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility, such an important principle in that. Uh, I I love the, the, the definition of humility that says humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourself less. And there, of course, is a personal dimension to all that. You know, if we're not loving ourselves, then what good are we going to be at loving others? But here's the really cool part about this. And this is what I love about our God. It is so often in helping others that we ourselves are helped. Um, it, it, Proverbs 11.25 says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and, and one who waters will himself be watered. Uh, Dr. Mike Gorman says, calls this missional transformation. See, we are blessed to be a blessing, and it is in blessing that, uh, blessing others that we ourselves are blessed. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is a pretty amazing passage. Acts chapter 2. We finished last week in Pentecost. We heard Peter give this incredible sermon 
Um, and, and we'll pick up here in, in verse 37, I think. Peter, Peter sits down. Now when they had heard this, they heard Peter's words, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, this is the people that were in the crowd, the people who had been there and heard this, who saw this, they said, brothers, what, what should we do? And, and Peter said to them, okay, everybody, here's, here's, here's what you do with all that information that I just gave you. Here, here's the application. Repent, turn in the direction of God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the, Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added about that, uh, that day about 3,000 souls. Jay showed us last week a picture of what 3,000 people look like. And here's our text for the day. This is a picture of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, uh, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were there together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. There is a sense in which this is an idealist passage, right? It describes the early church, but it does so in a way that almost feels like it is the end of the story. As we've talked about before, Acts is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. But if Luke had just tacked those first two chapters onto the end of the Gospel, that, this, this might have been just a fine place to end it. It kind of has this feel to it that's, that's like, and they lived happily ever after. The thing is, this isn't the end of the story. Rather, we might say it's the end of the beginning. And the reason why it's important for us to pay attention to it is because in these verses we are given a picture of how the church was and how the church could once again be. In fact, this may be um, difficult to believe, but actually uh, the megachurch movement of the past half century was heavily influenced by this passage. You'll notice that, that, that many of the um, uh, the larger churches uh, nationwide uh, carry the description in their church, in, in their name of community church or fellowship church. Willow Creek, North Point, Grace Fellowship. It's safe to say that these influential congregations would look at this passage in Acts for their marching orders. In fact, I think if you looked at their history, many of those churches would would have early on actually used the phrase Acts 2 Church. They would say, we want to be an Acts 2 Church. And to that movement's credit, I think that the best things that came from contemporary evangelical faith expression was indeed that they focused on the things outlined in this passage. So let's look at it. What were they devoted to? Or Well, actually, first of all, 
let's look at the fact that Luke says that they were devoted. Better translation of the word used might be that they were continually devoted. The implication being that they persevered in their devotion. It, It was a commitment to a process, a way of life, steadfast devotion, to give unremitting care, to show constant readiness. These are the the definitions that come from that word devotion. When Luke um, you tells us that the early church was devoted to their faith, we are to understand that their faith was their life. Remember Jesus' final words to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. See, you're not going to stop living your life. Uh, but through your life, you're going to bear witness to Jesus. That's the vision. For the Christian, our lives have been bought at a price. And that, the, and that life that we live, we now live to God. Now in Christ, we find that it is for freedom that we have been set free. Free to be the people that God created us to be. That's the paradox of the Christian fr- faith, friends. When I surrender my life to Christ... It is in that moment that I am actually, I actually find when I surrender my life to God, to God, when I give him the driver's seat, put him in the driver's seat, it's in that moment that I actually find out that, that I'm truly free. It's in that moment that I begin to live life abundantly when I put him in the driver's seat, when I put him on the throne. Because it turns out that he knew what was best for me the whole time, right? So therefore, I therefore live my life in devotion to Him and allow His transformative grace to show me that a life surrendered to Christ is actually the only way to fly. The disciples spent years with Jesus. They knew how devoted He was. John tells us that that Jesus loved them to the end. And then by giving them the Holy Spirit, He empowered them to imitate Him to a broken world. That devotion... It takes dedication. It takes time. And here's the truth, friends. If you aim at nothing, you're going to probably hit it. Like a ball player training himself to hit a fastball, devotion will cost you something. You'll have to say no to some things in order to say yes to what matters most. In fact, I think that if you can't identify the the price then you're going to have a hard time identifying the prize. Let me say that again. I think that if you can't identify the price, you're going to have a hard time identifying the prize. To be devoted to your faith the way the early church was devoted will cost us something. Time, treasure, um, but, but, but nothing. Nothing has ever been so worth it. So let's look specifically at what it was they were devoted to. First of all, the thing that Luke mentions is that the church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. In 1 Peter 2, the apostle tells us to put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, what I love about this is that, stay with me here, it doesn't say in Acts that they devoted themselves to Jesus' teaching. Now, 
They were apostles. Apostle means one who is sent out, and they were sent out by Jesus, and Jesus' teaching was their content. Don't get me wrong. But it does say they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This early church was compelled by what had happened in the past, but they lived in the moment. It might have been easy to say that a a community was formed by what Jesus had done, and then they kept their eyes fixed on the past, but that's not what it says. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching for the moment. This shows us generational progression. Peter himself had said as much in his speech. He said, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Basically us, right? Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. The theology of Acts is indeed compelled by the past. The life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. But it is forward thinking for life in the present moment. Life in our actual context today. So in the same way, we are called to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching for our moment. Specifically, this means that we saturate the life of our community in Scripture. The apostles left us their teaching. We call it the New Testament. And along with the Hebrew Bible, which the apostles told us were were breathed out by God and useful for the training up of righteousness, these books make up the Christian canon of Scripture. We are guided by Scripture. We are corrected by Scripture. We are encouraged by Scripture. I mean, I love reading books by Christian authors. Uh, But as a pastor, my favorite thing to do is just to sit down with a small group of people and enter into a particular passage of Scripture and just wrestle with it. Let it form us. Let it, let it shape us. Be, be, be willing to create a safe community where we're allowed to ask the, the questions. Like, that we're, you're allowed to ask that. And yes, some of the passages of the Bible are easier to understand than others. Sometimes um, you need to do the deeper study, reading the commentaries, to find out a little bit more about context and larger narrative. But, but to study the Bible alongside others... It's one of the most important activities that any of us can participate in. In fact, try this. The next time you're studying a passage in uh, house church or even really just private devotion, here's here's a practical tool. Uh, One of our house churches uh, actually found this out recently. Um, Read the passage, any passage, uh, specifically in the New Testament. Really, this could be anywhere in the Bible and ask these five questions. So look at, look at a passage and ask these five questions. Question number one, what does this passage tell us about God? Question two, what does it teach us about humanity in the world? Question three, what does it teach us um, about the church and its mission? Question four, how does it relate to the larger story of the Bible? And question five, what does it look like to apply it in our context today. What does it teach us about God? What does this teach us about the world? What does this teach us about the church? What do we learn about the wider narrative of Scripture? And how do we apply it today? You could do that with any passage in Scripture. You don't ever need to buy another study guide. In fact, I challenge you to do that sometime with this passage today. If this passage has been so very formative to community churches like ours, Read our, this text for this morning and ask yourself those five questions 
Amazing things happen when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and apply it to our mission as a church. The next two things we'll look at together. That's fellowship and the breaking of the bread. The word fellowship is the word koinonia, which I'd imagine you've heard before. It's translated here fellowship, but it's also translated in other parts of the New Testament as participation or contribution. Here's the thing. The early church was devoted to fellowship. It was committed to changing lives one life at a time and then welcoming them into a diverse, inclusive community. We get a lot more of this in the rest of Acts and and the rest of the New Testament, but but if we've devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching, we're going to notice that they had no time for an us-and-them mentality. We quoted Paul on this many times. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you think we quote that too much, consider yourself blessed, because for far too much of church history, the church has ignored that call. It doesn't mean that there aren't distinctions. God made each of us different made each of us different, and the reason we celebrate diversity is for the sake of unity, but the ground, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and therefore, all are welcome. Regardless of what it is, uh, regardless of what is in your past, Jesus wants you. He wants you in his church because he knows that the church will be better with you in it. And yeah, I'm talking to you. Every time the word koinonia is mentioned in the New Testament, it is mentioned in connection to sharing. There there is always implication. Anytime koinonia is mentioned, there is an implication of mutual generosity, and that means that true fellowship will cost us something. The early church, they had all things in common. They sold possessions, not necessarily all their possessions, but they distributed uh, the proceeds to all as there was need. They put themselves, they didn't think about their own interests, they put the other people and considered them more highly than themselves. And when I hear the word fellowship, you know, my mind, I'm a nerd, so my mind immediately turns to the Lord of the Rings. Um, This year is the 20th anniversary, by the way, of the Fellowship of the Ring movie. And my plan is to rent out a movie theater sometime around Thanksgiving and invite a a bunch of folks to watch it together. I'm I'm looking forward to that. So anyway, um, when I hear the word fellowship, I'm reminded of that scene uh, where where they show the Council of Elrond and Frodo courageously decides to take the ring to Mordor. And then one by one, the fellowship of the ring is formed. Gandalf starts up there and says, I will help you bear this burden, Frodo as long as it's yours to bear, you know. I will help you bear this burden as long as it's yours to bear. Aragon gets up. It, I love his, his line. It, if by my life or my death I can protect you, I will. You have my sword. And then one by one the others join, knowing that their participation in such a deadly mission will be costly. But they were so devoted to the mission, 
so devoted to their fellowship that they were willing to pay that price because they knew it was worth it. A small but costly thing that the early church did to show how committed they were to each other, to show how much they loved each other, was a simple thing, but it is so, it's so huge. It's eating together. In the ancient world, eating together was a sign of intimacy. To invite someone to your table was to give them a place of dignity. We see that all throughout the Gospels, right? There is, there is some debate among Bible scholars as to whether or not this phrase, breaking bread, meant the formal practice of the Lord's Supper or just eating together. Personally, I'm inclined to believe that they wouldn't have known the difference. The importance of hospitality in the life of the local church cannot be emphasized enough, and food is the tangible way we put our money where our mouth is. Coming out of this pandemic, guys, it is so vitally important that we do not forget how important it is for us as a church to break bread together. The early church was devoted to it, and we should be as well. We do that formally through the Lord's Supper, um, but it's just as sacred, just as sacramental when we invite someone into our home, we prepare a meal for them, and then we make them the center of attention, and we pray for them, and we talk to them, and we hear about their hopes and their dreams. We hear about their lives. We hear about their families. We, we talk to their kids with, with dignity. This happens at dinner tables, it happens in backyard cookouts, it happens in restaurants and coffee houses as well. Acts tells us that that they attended the temple day by day and they broke bread in their homes. We're told that they did it all praising God and having the favor of all the people. They had the favor of all the people, not just Christian people, all the people. This is how the gospel spreads, friends through love and hospitality. If you ever want to just share your faith and you're not really sure how to do it, invite them to dinner. It, this isn't about cornering them. It's not like, like, you know, now that I got you here, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You know, no, it's, it's, it's inviting them into your home, preparing them a meal, taking time, preparing this meal for another, another human being. And then showing that you care about them. And then maybe, maybe not that night, but maybe eventually they're going to look at you and they're going to say, why are you so nice? Why have you been so kind to me? And you get to tell them, I'm kind to you because Jesus was first radically kind to me. And I want to invite you into what I have with my fellowship, with my family and my community. I mean, the final thing that we're told here is that the early church devoted themselves to the prayers. So the word actually is plural here in the Greek. So this is probably a reference to the regular times of prayer, uh, the regular times of prayers that devout Christians, or I'm sorry, devout Jews would have kept. Uh, For us, the the thing to take away is, is, is the devotion that we as a community have to corporate prayer, or posturing ourselves together in worship, in confession, in thanksgiving, and then supplication. This is, this is why I think that, that prayer is going to take a lot of different um, approaches. I, I like that we, we, we pray uh, publicly in a, in a time of our worship, but, but it looks different every week. Last week we did, um, uh, we did a liturgy. Uh, this week we, we, we watched a video from a, um, 
from a supportive ministry. Prayer, sometimes we take prayer requests. Sometimes it's more, more formal than that. So prayer is going to look like a lot of different things. So you might say we are committed to the prayers. But the point is that we come to God in worship, seeking first his kingdom. We confess our sins. We acknowledge that we need his correction. We need him to help us find true north again. And we thank him for the blessings that we've received. The blessings that are in our life at the moment, and then after worship, confession, and thanksgiving, it is in that posture with our hands open that we give him our heart as well. And we share with him, our Father wants us to come to him, ask, seek, knock. We, we, our Father wants us to come to him and, and share our hopes, share our dreams, pray about our plans and our jobs and our families, and, and anything else our Father wants our time. He wants us to come to Him. He wants that individually, and He wants that corporately. God wants it all. What do I pray for? I pray for you, New Hope Community Church. I pray for this community to, 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 to embody love and joy and peace patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control embody those things the fruit of the holy spirit the, the ways we know the holy spirit is active in the life of our community and in the life of our wider community I, I i pray that we would embody those things for this broken world i pray that our our congregation would grow i, I grow inwardly and outwardly i i i pray that um that God would be revealed through us, always by his, in, 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 with him at the center, always to his glory alone. But, but I pray that, that our community would be a place where redemption is found, where restoration and reconciliation and resurrection is found. I pray that our community can be a place um, where new life, where lives can be changed, where marriages can be strengthened, where students can feel empowered, uh, where senior citizens can feel purpose. I, I pray for everyone in the life of our community to know that they are a part, to gather around and to know that the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and you are not only welcome here, you find your purpose here. We need you because our church is a better place with you in it. My prayer is that, that you all would know that, that everyone listening online would know that, and that through that message, through the message of Jesus, we would continue to grow this church. That's my prayer. So let me pray for us. <laughs> Father God, we see this passage, this picture, this glimpse of the early church um, I see this, I read this, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe. Because I think, oh, that's, oh, that's wonderful. You know, is, is that too high a goal, God? Could, could it ever be that good? And I, I see glimpses of it in the life of our community. I know that you remind us, no, you guys are never going to, you're never going to have it all together. There's always going to be um, darkness. Um, but, but the light that is, very, that is there, that is very real, very present, that, that light is worth fighting for. It's worth gathering for. It's worth showing up for. Showing up in worship, in confession, and, and supplication, and, and thanksgiving. 
Father, help us be the community that you created us to be. Help us to to, to live into your call, to to seek first your kingdom, and I pray for the lives that that we could reach. I pray for the people, for the men, the women, the students, the the, the families that we could reach, the people, uh, that you are people that you want to call home. Father, you are using your church to call your sons and daughters home. Help us to, to be that voice. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.